Well, being that it's Christmas Eve, I uh, would like to approach our scripture reading a little different this morning. Uh, I'd like to ask the children to come up if they would. <coughs> I'm going to read you the Christmas story. The sermon is going to be out of Luke chapter 2. Uh, but I'd like for them to come forward and I'd like to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 to them this morning as our scripture reading. So they come on up. Now I'm going to use a chair. You can use a chair. Use some, there you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Give me one chair. I need a chair. They'll be taking all the chairs. You do not want to see me get up off this hard floor. Maybe they do. Oh, me. Tomorrow we celebrate. What? Do you know what tomorrow? What ha- what, why do we celebrate Christmas? Uh, brothers. Yeah. Yes, yes. You were going to say that, weren't you? Here you go. Very good. Okay. So I would like to read the Christmas story. Okay? This one's Matthew gives an account, but also Luke. Okay? They're gospel. But I'd like to read the one by Dr. Luke. Okay? Yeah, he was a doctor. He would be a doctor, yes. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. What that means is simply this. The king, Caesar, okay, sent out an order, a law, okay? He says, I want a census to be taken in all the inhabited earth. He wanted to know how many people he had. Fair enough? So we we do that even today in our own country. Every so many years, you, you want to know how many people you got. Okay? And so that's what happened there. Verse 2. This was the first census taken with, should I even say the guy's name? Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay? Don't worry about it. Verse 3. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph, okay, also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and family of David. Why is Bethlehem important? You know what happens in Bethlehem? Verse five: In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth. So they went there, and within days, she gave birth to baby. Uh, you had a chance. There you go. <laughs> and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Isn't that beautiful? The birth of Christ. Now, something else is happening right outside of Bethlehem. There were some fields outside, a town. You maybe take maybe 10 minutes to walk out there to the fields. And so this is what's happening outside those fields on that day. Verse 8. In the same region, the same area of Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their sheep by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly, suddenly, Hebrew, just boom, stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And you know how they responded? They were terribly frightened. They got what? Scared. You ever been scared? Yeah, I've been scared. They were scared because of the glory of the Lord. 
Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel. Guess what happened next? A big choir formed. A bunch of angels got together and they started singing praise and thanksgiving to God. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now when the angels had gone away from the shepherds and went into heaven, the shepherds began saying to each other, hey, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. God told the angels to tell us this is happening in Bethlehem. And the angels like, we got to go check it out. we got to go look, don't we? When you start going straight to Bethlehem, you wouldn't go to the right, you wouldn't go to the left. You'd go straight, you'd go the fastest way possible. So they came in a hurry, of course, and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They told others, and they told Mary, and they told Joseph, hey, angels came and talked to us in the field. They told us you were here, and you gave birth to Jesus. Verse 19. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds went back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them by the angels. Wow. Can you imagine being a shepherd back then? And all of a sudden, an angel came and showed up and, and told you about what God was doing in a manger about 10, 15 minutes away in a town next to you called Bethlehem. Wow. Do you know why Jesus came? Why, you know why Jesus came? Why else do we celebrate the birth of Christ? Because Jesus came to save the people who are lost in the world. Yes, exactly. He came on that cross to take on our sins, your sins, my sins, right? And to die so that we can have life with him. So Jesus, the baby Jesus came to what? To get on the cross to die. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. I hope and I pray that you know Jesus Christ, that you would Trust him that you would see yourselves as sinners, right? You disobey your parents? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Come on, I just raise Notice mine is up too. Uh -huh. That's one little indicator, one little reason why we know we what? We sin. Because God is perfect, right? It's that we're not. But to be in the presence of God, we somehow got to be perfect. And that's what Jesus provides for you. That's what he gives you, is his perfect righteousness so that you can be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever forever. Okay? Thank you so much for your attention. You can go back and sit with your parents, okay? Thank you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this season. And Lord God, I, I you know I, I struggle after 25 years of preaching Christmas sermons and kind of 
get in a rut. Praise you this week. There have been times that you do not allow that to happen. That by your grace and by your work, it comes across fresh. And Lord God, that's my prayer for all of us. And so, Lord God, it is a tremendous challenge for the pastor and the preacher is to present the truth uh, in a fresh way. Not a new way, same old truths. But Lord God, paint them on our hearts in a more deeper, richer way this morning. Father, we pray for those who are traveling, those who are, and there's some that are even sick. And God, uh, a lot of our congregation is gone. We ask that you just bless them. Uh, keep them safe. Bring them back home safely, Lord God. Heal them, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like this morning to share with you the story within the story. And we read the story within the story. The big story is the birth of Christ. The story within that story is are the shepherds, okay, in the field. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. And there, 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 this fascinates me for a couple of reasons. And First of all, the inhabitants of Bethlehem and around the area, of all the people that were there, God chose shepherds to reveal his glory to. Now you got to think about that for a minute. When you think about who these band of shepherds are and how they were looked upon, you got to understand of all the people, that would be the last group that you would expect, that one would expect to, for God to show his glory to. John MacArthur says this about shepherds. He says, shepherds were among the lowest and most despised social group. The very nature of their work kept them from entering into the mainstream of Israel society. They were very considered dirty. They couldn't maintain the ceremonial washings and observe all the festivals and feasts. So of all the people groups that were around Bethlehem and outside, that was the last group anyone would expect it for God to show his glory to. Secondly, on that day, they were the only ones really to see Jesus. you got to realize something. Bethlehem is just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Okay? You could have probably walked to Jerusalem in 30, 45 minutes. But even though the shepherds went back and told what they'd seen and heard, no one else went to go see. And I asked the question, why? When you study Israel, when you understudy the, the Jewish culture, here's one word, one word answer, religion. Religion. The people were religious. They were too busy with their religious activities. Sound familiar? <coughs> Sacrifices and rituals, their feasts and festivals, that they missed the reality of Christ. See, everything in the Old Testament foreshadows the real deal was Christ. And they were so busy, so caught up in the shadows they missed out on the substance was God himself. The second person of the Trinity, the incarnation, the Savior of the world. So, let me wrap this up by saying this. The ones who you would expect to miss Christmas didn't miss it. And the ones you would expect not to miss it did miss it. The shepherds you would expect to have missed Christmas, they did not and the religious leaders, you would expect them to get it, but they missed it. Because they were too busy being religious. While God was busy building a relationship by sending the Son. Isn't that beautiful? But as fascinating as, 
as that is, there are some more, even more fascinating things happening in this story, this secondary story with the shepherds. And that is, the glory of God did not consume them. I want you to look at the text for a minute. Look at verse 9. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It wasn't the glory of the angels. It was the glory of the Lord shone around them. Look at verse 14. They're singing glory to God in the highest. Excuse me. And look at verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. I want to focus this morning on two things. First, the shepherd's response to the glory of God in the field. And then secondly, the shepherd's response to the message of the angels, which is the glory of God in the manger. The glory of God in the fields and the glory of God that was lying in the manger. Verses 8 through 14 is what I want to focus on for point number one. Even in the humble circumstances of Christ's birth, there was a breakthrough of God's glory in the field. Verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're just doing their thing that they had done probably for years. Routine. Not any excitement going on. Maybe a little boring. But they were just watching over their flocks. Another night, another normal night, little excitement, routine, just going through the motions. Meanwhile, down the road, the birth of Christ is taking place. But notice what happens in verse 9. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, literally, it's what it means in the Greek, suddenly, out of nowhere, out of the blue, verse 9, stood before them the glory of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The older translations say, sore afraid. Sore afraid. You see, I think, and I really believe, and we're going to show this in a minute, that every time the glory of God showed up, one should expect to die. We've lost that about God. He's cuddly. He's nothing but love. But the love. Let's look at the glory of the Lord, of the Lord for a minute. If you'd like, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. I want to share some things with you. I want to show you what happens when men are faced with the glory of God. And then I want to explain a little bit, take a few minutes to explain and more flesh out what the glory of God is. Because we really don't think about it that much. We just take it for granted. As Christians, God's glorious. He's wonderful. He's all about, okay, that's great, that's good. But I want to spend some time looking at that for a minute. But Exodus chapter 33 Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight. This is God talking to Moses. And I have known you by name. Then Moses said, oh, I pray you, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion by whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. How often do we forget that? Verse 21, Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about 
while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Why do you think God's covering him so that he will not die? Because when the glory of God in his fullness passes by somebody, they are consumed. They die. Because God's glory is as intense as the sun. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 23, then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There's no way any human being can stand the full extent of my glory and live. So Moses, I will show you a part of my glory and notice the part of his glory. Verse 19, my goodness, I will be gracious, my compassion. That is the part I will show you. Let's go to Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah also sees the glory of God in his vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And let's look at his response. Verse 1 of chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe of his robe filling the temple. His glory is filling the temple. And when you're, his glory fills something, there's room for nothing else. Look at the seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. Wow, how intense is the glory of God. The seraphim covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, wait a minute. How can... In one instance, God's glory kill a person and God's glory be full of the earth and no one die. It's simply this. God reveals the glory to whatever degree he wants without destroying. Does that make sense? We have never experienced the fullness of God's glory, but the glory that he has shown to us is sufficient and enough. It doesn't kill, it saves. That makes sense. But all I'm saying this morning is when you look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament, we see that God would show forth the fullness of his glory, no one would survive. We forget that about God. Now, look at Isaiah's response. Verse 5, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. He's seeing the vision of God's glory. What's his response? I am ruined. Go all the way to Revelation, if you will, chapter 1. John also is an example, gives us a response. A very similar example as Moses and Isaiah. I love Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. He begins, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker of the tribulation and kingdom of perseverance, was on the island of Patmos when the word of the Lord testimony came to me. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And that voice, verse 11, was saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to seven churches. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching down to the feet, girded across his chest with golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. 
and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And I love this. Look at, look at, look at the next part, verse 17. And John says that he placed his right hand on me. Say, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Paul, remember Paul in Acts chapter 9? The light of heaven shone upon him, knocked him off his animal. Paul fell to the ground. And the men in verse 7 that were with him, they couldn't even speak out of fear. And now we come to Luke 2. The shepherds are no different. They were so afraid. They were fearful. They were terrified. But what is it about God's glory that is so terrifying? That's the question, right? What is it about His glory that Moses and Isaiah and John and Paul and the shepherds responded this way? Let's look at that for a couple of minutes. Let me start with the Hebrew word kabod. Kabod, which translated into English is glory. The Hebrew word means weight or, or, or heaviness. You get the picture? That's what it means. That's where we get the English word worship. It has to do with weight. 2 Corinthians 4.17 confirms this when it says, Paul says about the eternal weight of God's glory. Weight is in reference to the worth or value of something. How else do we weigh silver and gold? What do we do? Silver and gold, so pick gold for example, it gets its value by its what? How much it weighs, right? By ounces. The value of the worth of something is determined by the weight. So glory, the worth and the value are parallel concepts. So when you ascribe glory to God, we're ascribing his worth to him, his value back to him. So when we worship God, we should have in mind his worth and his value because he's worthy of praise because of who he is. There's another word that we often see associated with, with glory. It is light. Light. The word light. One cannot look directly at the sun without being what? Blinded. And if you were able to get close to the sun, you would be consumed. This word light is associated with God's glory. Matter of fact, in Revelation 1.16, we read with John, what? Do we see as bright as the sun? We also see later on in Revelation 21.23 that Christ is so bright, so full of glory, that it's him that's going to, what? Illumine the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no reason for the sun and the moon. This is really beyond description, isn't it? This is really hard to grasp right now. It's hard for me to grasp. But we are finite minds trying to understand and grasp an infinite God. Another word associated is with, with glory, excuse me, is beauty. 
According to Psalm 27, 4, listen to this, David's greatest desire was to gaze upon the beauty of God. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and see the beauty of the Lord. Isaiah 28, 5 says, and during the millennium, Christ will be a beautiful crown to his people. Isaiah 61, 10 looks forward to the bridegroom clothing his bride with the beauty of his righteousness. So you see the Hebrew word itself conveys weight as value and worthiness. You see light is associated with the glory of God. You see beauty is associated with the glory of God. Holiness is also associated with the glory of God. If you'd like to turn with me to the Gospel of John for a moment. Chapter 12, verse 41. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 41. Back up to verse 36. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Signs are not enough. We don't believe Christ because of signs. We believe him because of who he is. Verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, quote, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart. And he converted it and I healed them. Now look at verse 41. John says, These things Isaiah said because he what? Saw his what? Glory. And he spoke of them. Beloved, when you see the glory of God, you want to speak of the glory of God. Let me repeat that. When you see the glory of God, you cannot help but want to speak about the glory of God. Sovereignty is associated with glory. Judgment is associated with glory. And I could go on, but I won't. You get the point. Let me sum this up by saying this about God's glory. It is the sum of his attributes. And whenever... God, if God would ever unleash the fullness of all his attributes, his glory, it would consume everything he created. That's what's lying in the manger, folks. That's what's lying in the manger. Sovereignty was lying in that manger. Holiness is lying in that manger. Righteousness is lying in that manger. Beauty is lying in that manger. The light of the world To say that God is glorious, to say that he is beautiful. To say that God is glorious, to say that he is worthy, that he is pure. To say that he is sovereign, that he is just, that he is loving, that he is all those things wrapped up together. This is what surrounded the shepherds on that day. This is what frightened them. This is why they responded the way they did. They didn't cuddle up to the message. It wasn't a cliche. It wasn't tradition. It wasn't some sweet songs. It wasn't mystical. It's the glory of the Creator. That's what Christmas is about. We forget sometimes that no one can see God's face, and that no one can see God's face and live. We forget Hebrews 12, 28, and 29 that God is a consuming fire. Somehow, 
The gospel begins to change in a culture. It begins to steer us towards God is only love and God is only merciful and God is only this or that. And we need to back up as a church at times and say, no, this is who God says he is. We need to worship God because of the sum of who he is, not because of a part of who he is. And I fear at times the church is over here and we worship God only because of the parts we like about him. So the sum of who he is. The next point of this is the response to the message of the angels, the glory of God in the manger. Two things here. Number one, when they saw, they made known. And then they spoke to God. When they saw the glory in the manger, they, 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 they spoke about it to others and they spoke to God about it. You get that? Let's look at the first part. Back at our main Text, chapter 2 of Luke, verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now when they had seen this, what did they do? They made known. They repeated what the messengers told them. They passed it on. Do you know the glory of God? Have you come to the place where you know the glory of God? The glory of God that's revealed in Christ? Because what happens is it compels you to speak to others about the glory of God. When you see him for who he is, and yet you see he has not consumed you, because he, he didn't kill you, it's that he saves you, Right? He's show, what he's doing is he's showing us a part of his glory that we did not expect, that the Jews did not expect, that the shepherds did not expect. That's why Christ came, to seek and to say that was lost, not to judge. When he's coming again, folks, that's what we warn people of. When he comes again, it's not going to seek and to save the lost. It's going to be for the purpose of showing the other part of who he is, so to speak. Okay, Speaking very loosely here, that he is full of justice. And if Christ doesn't take care of your sin, you're going to have to take care of your sin. When Christ takes care of your sin, he, he blots it out. He covers it. You're washed. You're cleansed. You're white as snow. But when the human being has to take care of their own sin, they will spend eternity in hell doing just that. That's why the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people in verse 11, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior. A Savior. So what the first thing the shepherds did, they made known to those around what had been spoken to them. And what had been spoken to them is what they sat there or stood there and saw in the manger, the Savior, the infant Jesus. In verse 18, and all who heard what they had to say wondered at the things which they were told them by the shepherds. I love verse 19, but Mary treasured them, pondered them in her heart. In other words, she sat and she soaked and meditated on what was going on, on who this baby is. Beloved, we get so busy with Christmas. We never ponder long enough about what the birth of Christ is truly all about. But I also love verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. Not only did they tell others, they speak to others 
about the glory in the manger, about the message from the angels, but they talk to God. When you are touched by God, you talk to God. You worship Him. You praise Him. You thank Him. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 6.13 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his courts with thanksgivings, with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. When we ascribe worth and glory and value to God, we are not adding to it. He is complete, he is full. We are simply simply acknowledging what is true. That's what we're doing. He cannot increase in his holiness. He cannot increase in his status. He cannot increase in his glory. And it's not for his sake that we do this. It's for our sake. And for the sake of the world. Did you get that? You see, God is not needy. God's self-sufficient. By His grace, invites people to come. By His grace, He moves people to come. You see, beloved, we're saved to worship. Did you get that? We're saved. Christ came to make us worshipers. And we worship in spirit and in truth. That's what the manger is about. That's the incarnation. Notice how this good news cannot be contained. The shepherds went from being frightened to great joy, from thinking they were under God's judgment to being forgiven. Because they were changed by glory, they could not hide, they could not contain the joy of their redemption. When one is changed by the glory in the manger, one cannot contain the joy of the cross. Did you get that? That's what this is all about. That's what the shepherds are all about. That's what this little story and this bigger story is all about. That's what your story is about. We're the shepherds. We're the shepherds. I pray that you're the shepherds. When we're touched by the glory of God, we cannot be quiet about it. It's too joyful. It's too explosive in our hearts. And at times, he's got to tell somebody. You think the joy of the Lord is something God meant to be contained? Or something to be shared? Something to be shared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for the joy of the birth of Christ. Thank you for his goodness and his grace. Lord God, I, I pray that we would be so full of joy, we would actually initiate and look for opportunities to share Christ. And Lord God, if we're not comfortable, we'll try it anyway. Because you're that wonderful, you're that glorious. Even if I'm not 100% prepared to share Jesus, I'm going to make an attempt no matter what. God, we're all, you know, you know, we're going to fumble, we're going we're gonna to make mistakes, but God, when our joy is in your glory, when you are our greatest 
joy. You're our greatest passion. It doesn't matter if we're going to make mistakes. We're still going to talk about you. God, it all begins in the manger. For in that city, there was good news of great joy, which would be for all the people. That Jesus the Savior, the glory of God was lying in that manger. Oh, Lord God, as we go home this day, let us not forget the glory of Christ. Let us not forget the glory of his cross. Let us not forget the glory of his birth. Let us not forget, God, that you are all glorious. And, but by your grace, your glory would consume us. But because of Christ, your glory brings us all into your presence to live like we've never lived before for all eternity. God, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.